This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Uh, thanks to listener Art Drysdale for suggesting I check out the program Pat Novak for Hire, which starred Jack Webb. Now, I thought it might be kind of interesting to play first an episode of Dragnet, of course, in which he starred as the lead role, so that we can compare him in both roles and the difference in both delivery and, of course, in the writing styles. So, here's Jack Webb in an episode of Dragnet, first aired August 4th of 1949. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to narcotics detail. For more than two months, doctors' offices have been burglarized, hospital pharmacies pillaged, drugstores robbed, medical supply firms ransacked, with one purpose in mind, the theft of narcotics. The criminals are expert, cunning, vicious. Your job? Get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, transcribed in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, March 23rd. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of narcotics. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on my way back from the record bureau, and it was 10.35 p.m. when I got to room 24. The narcotics detail. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll be right over. Thank you. Get anything, Joe? Nothing we don't know already. How about you? That was the county hospital on the phone. Doc Welch. Pretty fair lead. I told him we'd be right over. What's he got? One of our informants, Benny Trounsel. Ready? Let's go. What's with Benny? It's bad shape. Somebody worked him over. They found him in an alley off of South Main. Yeah? Doc says Trounsel talked before he passed out. Anything good? He claimed he knows who's running the new dope racket in town. Says they got him. Now let's take the stairs here, huh? Why should they bother with small fry like Benny? That's what I'm wondering. Blackmail, maybe. Benny's still on the needle? Maybe that accounts for his story. Doc says his skull is fractured. Morphine doesn't do that to you. Yeah. Benny mentioned any names? I don't know. Doc didn't say. Here's the garage. Come on. When did they pick up Benny? About an hour ago. He had a pocket full of bindles on him. Heroin. Charles small fry. He never had that much dope on him in his life. That's what makes it interesting. Let's go. County Hospital? Yes, sir. The line is busy. Will you wait? Thank you. Can I help you, gentlemen? We'd like to see Dr. Welsh. She's expecting us. Your name, please? This is Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday, police officer. Oh, yes. Around the corner to your left, room 127. The doctor's waiting for you. Thank you. Come on, Ben. I hope Benny's still talking. We could sure use a lead. Yeah. Here it is. 127. 
Hiya, Ben. Joe? How are you, Doc? Anything new? Just left Tronsil upstairs. You think we can talk to him now? Won't do much good. He died about six minutes ago. For almost two years, Benny Tronsil, an addict himself, had been one of the most valuable informants Ben and I had in the narcotic gangs. More than once, he had helped us solve a case, but this time, if Benny Tronsil had any direct leads to the nerve center of the newest narcotic ring, he took them with him. Besides his dying accusation that the ring had gotten to him, he left behind only two small scraps of information. First, when he arrived at the county hospital, Dr. Welsh reported that Tronsil repeatedly muttered the name Patterson. Secondly, among the few personal effects found in his pockets was a good amount of heroin and a small piece of white paper with two words scrawled on it, Tucker Building. Benny Tronsil's body was taken to the county morgue and the next morning it was posted. At the coroner's inquest, the cause of death was listed as a brain hemorrhage induced by severe blows by a blunt instrument on the sides and base of the skull, inflicted by a person or persons unknown. Besides Ben and myself, the only identification witness at the inquest was a woman who managed a rooming house in Benedict Alley, where Tronsel used to stay periodically. After the inquest, we questioned her briefly in our office. Miss Strutt, you say you can't remember any friends Tronsel had while he stayed at your rooming house? No, I can't. Besides, if I knew that man used dope, I never would have rented him a room. How long did he rent from you, Miss Strike? Oh, about six months. I run a respectable house. I don't mind if my people drink a little now and then, but those dope users, no, sir. Did you know anything about Tronsel, Miss Strike? Where he spent his time, where he had his meals? Well, don't serve at my place. Too much trouble. Most of the people eat at the Ace Lunchroom. Down the corner. Where's that, Miss Strike? Um, Grant and South Main. Right on the corner. You think Tronsel might have spent some time there? He might have, I don't know. Miss Streit, did Tronsel ever mention anyone by the name of Patterson? No. Patterson? No. And you can't recall any friends he might have had? He had any friends. He never set foot in my house. That's all I know. All right, Miss Streit. Thank you. Here's a card, ma'am. If you come across any information about Tronsel, we'd appreciate it if you'd call us. All right. Is that all? That's all, ma'am. Thank you. Well, bye. Goodbye, ma'am. Big help. Yeah, not even a good identification witness. You got those listings we made on the Tucker building? Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Here it is. Okay, let me have it. Huh? Mm. Tucker building, 7310 South Wilshire. I wonder what Benny Charles could have been doing out there. Shouldn't be too hard to check. It's a small building. Yeah, six listings for the whole place. A couple of law offices, real estate guy, dentists, architect, and a doctor. One dentist, one doctor could be a lead. Maybe. Pretty thin. Friday, Romero. You got a minute? Yes, Gibber. Come on, John. Yeah. What do you got, Ed? Letters. Here's a sample. Now listen to this. Chief of Detectives, Ed Backstrand, City Hall, Los Angeles. In view of mounting wave of narcotic robberies, strongly recommend that your efforts to curb this lawlessness be redoubled. They all like that? All of them. They're mad. Can you blame them? Not a bit. We haven't got much to go on, Chief. The gang's pretty smart. All right, then let's be smarter. There's no law against it. Doing our best, Giver. Then make it better. I'm sick of that bunch, and I'm tired of these letters. And look at that record. In two months, 15 drugstore robs, eight medical offices, two supply houses, two hospital pharmacies. Narcotics missing every time. Now, who's behind it? None of the old-timers. We've checked them out. Gone over every hype and mainliner we know of. All right, then get on the transients. New faces. Climb on every one of them that shoots the stuff until you get to that gang and break it. If you need help, holler. But get to that gang and break it. Do you understand? Okay, Skipper, we'll try. You dig up anything on that Tronsel case yet? Still checking out one lane. What? Slip of paper we found in Tronsel's pocket, Ed. Said Tucker building on it, that's all. Just going to check it out when you called. All right, hop on it. Fast. We got a lot of pressure on us. Keep in touch with the office. It was almost noon when Ben and I got out to the Tucker building. It was a two-story affair, comparatively small, very modern. We checked with the dentist in the building first, but he'd never heard of anyone by the name of Benny Trounsel. His records and appointment books proved it out. Well, that's one down, Joe. Yeah. Let's try that doctor's office now. What's his name? Let me see. Uh, oh, Springer. Dr. Fred Springer. He's on the second floor. Okay. There's a the stairway down there. Come on. Pretty close to lunchtime. Might not be in. Maybe. Somebody should be there. We haven't got much time to play with. Yeah. Chief sure was up in there this morning. Here's the office. Fred Springer, M.D. 
Good morning. May I help you, gentlemen? We'd like to see Dr. Springer, please. Do you have an appointment? No, we don't. Well, the doctor's not in at present. Would you like to make an appointment for later in the day? No, ma'am. We're police officers. This is Sergeant Friday. I'm Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I'm uh, Miss Turner. I'm the doctor's nurse. Then you must take care of the appointment and record books for the doctor. Yes, I do. Well, maybe you can give us the information we're looking for, Miss Turner. Did the doctor ever have a patient by the name of Trounsel? Benny Trounsel? Trounsel? Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think so. Just a moment, I'll check. Thank you. No. T-R-O-U-N-S-E-L, is that the way it's spelled? Yes, ma'am. No. The name's not listed here. Uh, let me check the account book. No. Wait. It's funny. What's that, Miss Turner? Here in the back of the book in the doctor's handwriting. Look. Mm. Tronsel, the black parrot. Certainly funny. I can't remember seeing that notation before. It must be fairly recent. Miss Turner, what kind of a clientele would you say Dr. Springer has? Oh, it's quite exclusive. Beverly Hills, Bel Air. That's where most of the bills are mailed. Can you recall seeing Trounsel in the office here, Miss Turner? Small man, thin, walked with a kind of a limp, not very well dressed? No, I don't think so. Doesn't sound like any of our patients. Would you show us the doctor's prescription list for the last two months? We'd like to check them. Well, I'm afraid I can't. Dr. Springer keeps it in the safe. He's the only one who has the combination. How long have you been with Dr. Springer? About ten months. Ever since he started his practice out here. Where was he before that? Philadelphia. I don't understand all these questions. Is there anything the matter? Just a routine check, Miss Turner. When do you expect the doctor back? About four this afternoon. He's out making home calls. All right. Here's our card. Would you ask him to call us as soon as he comes in? I'll do that. Thank you, Miss Turner. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, say, Miss Turner, one more question. Yes? Does Dr. Springer have a patient by the name of Patterson? Oh, yes. One of the doctor's first patients, John Patterson. He lives out on East Beverly Drive. When we left Dr. Springer's office, we called R&I. There was no make on John Patterson. Ben and I drove over to see him just on a hunch. It didn't pay off right then, but it showed a little promise. When the maid came to the door of the Swank apartment, she told us Patterson was out for the day. We asked her about Patterson's occupation. She didn't know. We asked her about his friends, his business acquaintances. She could remember only two people visiting the apartment. One of them was Dr. Springer, apparently a constant visitor. The other, a tall, dark man who spoke bad English. We asked the maid how long she had worked for Patterson. She said ever since he moved to Los Angeles, about six months before. A few things started to fall into place, but it was strictly a guesswork operation. Ben and I got in the car and headed for the south end of the city to check out some of the places Benny Trounsel was supposed to have frequented. We met a stone wall. From the Ace lunchroom near Benny's former rooming house to the Black Parrot, no one was willing to talk. Threats didn't work and neither did promises. Ben and I gave up for the moment and headed back to the office. Pacific Ambulance 1, call to Alhambra is now code 3. Seems like Skid Row doesn't want any part of this one. Yeah, there's a bad feeling. Something's got him scared. Sure would like to know what it is, or who it is. Yeah, I'd like Control to know the answer 1, to unit that, 80K. Too. Control 1, unit 80K. First, Joe, get it, will you? I got it. 80K to Control 1. 80K to Control 1. Go ahead. 80K. Call station 2511, code 3. 80K to Control 1, Roger, KMA 367. Wonder what that's all about. Now well, let's find out. There's a drugstore. They ought to have a phone. Pull over, huh? You got a nickel? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks. I'll be back in a minute. Chief of Detectives Office, Hannon. This is Friday, Mike. The chief there? Oh, yeah. Just a minute. Backstrand talking. This is Friday, Ed. What do you got? You tied up? Nothing big. Then check in as soon as you can. Got something good. What? You remember the stick-up at St. Agnes Hospital about a month ago? Pharmacy there? What about it? Two patrolmen picked up a user down near Union Station about an hour and a half ago. Yeah? Guy was way back on his heels. He had two vials of morphine on him. Files had serial numbers. Good. Did they match out? Perfectly. Thanks, Ed. We'll be right in. 
When Ben and I got back to the office at 3.52 p.m., we picked up Chief Ed Backstrand and went directly to the crime lab where Lieutenant Lee Jones analyzed the contents of the two vials taken from the suspect. Jones told us it was high-grade morphine. We went back to the office and double-checked the serial numbers on the vials with a crime report on the St. Agnes Hospital robbery. They matched. And there's a good break. These vials were in the loot when the gang knocked over the hospital 28 days ago. I stay on the trail and we'll crack that gang wide open. This the arrest report on the guy yet? Yeah. Picked him up in a bar off South Main. Who is the guy? A transient? Yeah, here it is, Ben. James Steiner, Phoenix, Arizona, age 37, transient laborer. Anybody talk to this guy yet, Ed? Not yet. He shouldn't be too hard. You better get on it. Right, Skipper. Come on, Joe. Check you later, Ed. What time you got, Ben? Let me see. Uh, 25 past four. A phone call for you, Ben. Yeah, who was it? Your wife. Wants you to pick up some aspirin and a bottle of nose drops for your kid on your way home. Oh, yeah, almost forgot that the only call we had, Mike? That's right. Thanks. Well, you got that Dr. Springer's number, Ben? Yeah. Um, here it is. Uh, Crestview 55284. Five, Thanks. Nurse said he'd call us around four, didn't he? Yeah. Dr. Springer's office. This is Sergeant Friday down at the police department. Dr. Springer there? No, he isn't, Sergeant. He called in about 20 minutes ago when I gave him your message. He said he'd call you. All right, Miss Turner. When he comes in, tell him to call us. Impress on him. It's urgent. All right, Sergeant. I'll do that. Goodbye. Goodbye. No luck? I don't know. Just a hunch. He may be ducking us. Who are you calling now? State Medical Board. Maybe they can check us out on Dr. Springer. I put the call through to the State Medical Board and asked for a check on Dr. Fred Springer. They said they'd call back within the hour. In the meantime, we had James Steiner brought to one of the interrogation rooms for questioning. It was all talk. It's like I told the sergeant when they booked me. I, I don't know anything about this hospital, John. Sit down, Steiner. Oh, all right. How long you been in the city, Steiner? L.A.? Oh, about a month. I came from Phoenix looking for work. Things are pretty slow in Phoenix. Where'd you get the morphine? Huh? I said, where'd you get the morphine? The stuff? I bought it. Just for a pop now and then. I just play around with it. Just for kicks. Who'd you buy the vials from? Who? I don't know. A guy in a bar gave me a price. Which bar was that? Which bar? Uh, Black Parrot. I, I'm not hooked. I, I just play around with it just for kicks. What'd the guy look like, Stoner? What did he look like? I don't know. Tall, I guess. Would you remember him if you saw him again? Remember? Sure. Talked to him a couple of nights at the bar. Was he on the stuff? Was he a hype? Hype? Yeah, maybe. Tall fella, dark. You shooting the stuff? Shooting the stuff? No. No, I, I'm no mainliner. I never took in the veins of my life. I, I told you I'd do it just for kicks, just to pop now and then. Take off your shirt. Let's see your arms. Huh? My arms? Come on, take it off. Where? Who are you kidding, Stanley? Your arm looks like a pincushion. I, I, I told you, just once in a while, just... For the kicks, I'm not hooked on it. They found two vials of stolen morphine on you, Steiner. You can go two ways, hard or easy. Hard or easy? I, I told you I ain't done nothing. I, I bought this stuff. I, I use a cap or a bindle once in a while for kicks, but I'm not hooked. I bought the stuff, I tell you. Who was he, Steiner? Who sold it to you? Who? Oh, I told you. I met him in a bar, the Black Parrot. Who was he? Who's tall? Dark, he gave me a good price. Come on, let's have it, Steiner. His name... I'm feeling sick. You got something for me? I'm sick. All right. Mike. Yeah, Joe. Get some milk. A couple of quarts right away. Okay. You ready to tell us, Steiner? Who was he? I'm sick. I'm sick. We're getting some milk for you now. Come on, you better talk. Max. That, that, that's all he said. Name was Max. He gave me a good price. I only take a pop now and then just for kicks. You think you could point him out for us? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I'm sick. I'm sick. Narcotics from Merrill. Hello. This is Dr. Springer calling. You wanted to talk to me. Yes, we did, Doctor. And we've got a few questions we'd like to ask you. Oh, hold on just a minute, will you? Dr. Springer, Joe. All right, tell him we got to see him tonight. We'll call him back later. Dr. Springer. Yes? Sorry, Doctor. We'll have to see you later on tonight. You be at home? 
Well, I have an appointment this evening. Uh, would you mind telling me what this is all about? Sure, Doctor. It's about a man named Benny Trounsel. Oh. I see. And if you don't mind, we'd like to check over your prescription list with you. Yes. I'll cancel my appointment. You can contact me here at home. 1938 we left word with Hannon where we were going, and then Ben and I headed out for Dr. Springer's home. It was 7.35 when we pulled up into the driveway at 1538 South Road, a low, rambling, ranch-type home. We got out of the car and made our way down the path to the front door. A gray Persian cat followed us. The door was half open. We knocked, but there was no answer. Through the window, we could see the living room was dimly lighted. We went in. We found Dr. Springer sitting in a large carved mahogany chair in the dining room. The room was hung with drapery. He was slumped forward, face down on the dining table. There was a bullet hole in his right temple. On the floor near his right hand was a 32 automatic pistol. In the center of the dining table was a piece of white paper. Looks like he beat us. Yeah. Any names on that confession? One. Says he killed Trounsel. No, wait a minute. It says, uh, John Patterson. He forced me to this. What? I don't know. What's it look like to you? Here's another one. Norberg. That's all it says. Then he signed his name. Dr. Fred Springer. Ben, come over here. Look at these. Mm, hypodermic needle. The works. This morphine. White powder. Could be. And he was on it himself. Looks like it. We'll find out when they post him. I'll get it. Yeah. Sergeant Friday there, please. This is Joe, Mike. What do you got? Can you talk all right there? Yeah, go ahead. Just got a kickback on your call to the state medical board on this Dr. Fred Springer. Mm -hmm. He's not a registered physician in the state of California. Besides that, his license was revoked in Pennsylvania two years ago. Illegal operations. That explains it. Notify homicide. Get the crime lab in the corner out here, will you? Looks like Springer shot himself. Okay, Joe, right away. We'll wait for him, but hurry him up, Mike. We got a couple more places to check out tonight. Okay, Joe, see you later. Right. What's next, Patterson Place? I don't know. Maybe we ought to try Steiner first. Sounds good to me. Feels like we're getting close. Yeah, Ben, real close. Twelve minutes later, Homicide and the crime lab men checked in at the Springer house and Ben and I checked out. We went back to the office and found Ed Backstrand waiting for us. We told him our story and he sent two men out to keep an eye on the Patterson place. Two other men went to work to try and track down the other name in Springer's confession note, Norberg. Ben and I went up to the county jail and picked up Steiner. The three of us started out to look for the man who sold Steiner the two vials of morphine stolen from a hospital pharmacy a month before. The man's name was Max. He was tall and dark. That was all we knew. The rest of it was up to Steiner. Two other men from the detail, Davis and Emerson, came along with us to take care of Steiner if anything went wrong. Our first stop was the Black Parrot Tavern. Davis parked the car in an alley down the street. Steiner, Ben, and I got out and walked the rest of the way. You understand what you're supposed to do, Steiner? Me? Yeah. I go in first and sit at the bar. You two will follow me. I sit at the bar, and if I see Max, I give you the sign. That's, that's okay, huh? That's right. And you don't try to break for it. Break for it? Me? I, I told you, I'm squaring with you guys. All right, Steiner. Go ahead. Let's hope it works, Joe. Yeah. There he goes inside. Come on. Now, look, try to grab one of the booths along the wall if you can, huh? Right. Here we are. First booth, Ben. It's empty. Yeah. Fellas, we'll have to order at the bar. Waitress got a night off. Make it a couple of beers, will you? Couple of beers? Okay. Joe. Joe, look at Steiner. Yeah, he's signaling. Must mean the guy putting on his coat over there. No, no, hold it, Ben. Wait till he gets past us. All right, get Steiner back to the car. I'll tail the guy. You come after me. 
I didn't know how right Steiner was or how much we could trust him. All I knew was that the man I was following was tall and he was in a hurry. I followed him three quarters of a block before he turned in at a motel. He went to a cottage at the rear of the lot, let himself in, and closed the door quickly behind him. A minute later, Ben and the others pulled up in the car. Got him staked out, Joe. Steiner says that was Max. Let's make sure. Come on. Which one's the in? The one down at the end here. I'll be careful. You too. All right, here we are. Wait a minute, right there. All right, look, there's no rear door. He's got to come out the front. Keep the door clear. You ready? All set. Cover me. Open up in there. Who is it? Police officers, open up. Just a minute. All right, Ben, give it back to him. All right, throw your guns out first, then come out with your hands behind your head and make it fast. Watch it, Ben, he's making a break. All right, mister, that's far enough. Get out of my way. Get out of Get my way. Get him, Ben. That's good, Ben, you all right? Yeah. He didn't mean it, Cover. he didn't mean it. He didn't know what he was doing. Well, that must be a good excuse, lady. A lot of people use it. Come on, Ben, let's take him in. <laughs> It was 10 minutes past midnight when we got back to headquarters. Both the man and the woman were booked for violation of the State Narcotics Act, a felony. He gave his name as Max Jansen. In his luggage, we found 13 vials of morphine, large quantities of heroin, and a small amount of panopin. He gave us the names and addresses of six active members of the narcotics gang. He identified Dr. Springer as second in command. Just a few more questions, Jansen. Yeah, all right. Why did Springer kill Trouser? He had it coming. Trouncil knew the score and he was blackmailing them, bleeding them white. Why didn't the gang take care of him? Boss said no rough stuff. Things were going too good. He warned Springer, but he wouldn't listen. All right, Jensen, just one more question. Who's the boss? Shall I get off flight? State's witness? It might help. We can't promise you anything. Who's the boss, Patterson? Yeah. 138 East Beverly Drive? That's right. What about Norberg? How does he figure? The same guy. Patterson, Norberg, both the same. And what's his real name? Norberg. Tony Norberg. What's his front? He's legit or used to be importing business. Where? Here. Got an office downtown. Do I get protection? Where's Norberg now? Home out in Laurel Canyon. Do I get protection? I thought you said he lived out on East Beverly. His apartment. His home's out in the canyon. Where? What's the address? Do I get protection? You'll get protection. Wind and Way. 860 Wind and Way. All right, Freddy. Romero. Take some men with you. Davis, cover the back of the house. Levine, you cover the front. Come on, Ben. Yes? Mr. Norberg in? Who's calling? Police officers. Oh, come in, won't you? Thank you. Now get your hands up. Face the wall. You'll never make it, lady. The house is surrounded. Tony, get the stuff. It's our only chance. They'll cut you down, Norberg. All right, Jeannie, give him the gun. Don't be a fool. They're going to march out the door in front of us, right to the car. I'm not going, Jeannie. Try it if you want. I'm not going. All right, Tony, stay. Come on, coppers. You'll never make it, lady. I said move. Fast. All right, Ben, hit the dirt. She's going for the car. See if you can get those tires. Dane? Yeah. Norberg was smart. Must be the girlfriend. Guess so. Wonder why they start. Hmm? Why do they get on the stuff, Joe? For kicks, Ben. None of them ever get hooked. Just for kicks. <laughs> just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Tony Norberg, alias John Patterson, was tried and convicted for possession of narcotics, robbery, and conspiracy, and was sentenced to the maximum term prescribed by law, each count to run consecutively. 
He died three years and 11 days after his arrival at the state penitentiary. You have just heard the ninth in a new series of authentic cases transcribed from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Chief Erskine Ert Fish of the North Sacramento Police Department, who on the night of August 11th, 1935, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Jack Webb again to return in the lead role of Pat Novak for hire. Time now for Jack Webb, and this time playing the role of Pat Novak in an episode first aired March 23rd of 1949. Pat Novak for hire. Sure, I'm Pat Novak, for hire. That's what the sign out in front of my place says. Pat Novak, for hire. It's the easy way, because down here on the waterfront in San Francisco... You can't afford to wait your turn. If you're going to make a living down here, you got to do everything you can. And you got to be out of the hen house by sunup. Even then, it doesn't work out always. Because you get trouble tax-free. It's like leukemia. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no way to duck it. You might as well try to start a conga line in the cathedral. I found that out Monday night when I met an old friend. It was the night before elections, and I was sitting in the office, scratching married women out of an old date book, when Sam Tolliver showed up. I hadn't seen him for years, but it was a nice, easy meeting. What other way is there when you're good friends? Hey, you look just the same, Patsy. Yeah, it's good to see you, Sam. Sit down. Sure. Doing well, I guess, huh? Oh, you get different stories. Where have you been? Oh, all the hard luck stops. Syracuse for a while and Joliet. That's where I come from now. Yeah? That's where they got a big prison. Uh-huh. When you came too far, Sam, you should have stopped in Oakland. Huh? That's right. If you're out here to play small robbery, you better think it over. It's a tough town. All right, me, Patsy. I'm not Sam. But once you start losing them, it's hard to win again. I just thought you might want to know about San Francisco. Thanks. Thanks, but you don't have to worry, Patsy. I got a smart streak. Uh, I'm here mostly to ask a favor. Yeah. Can you spare me one for old time's sake? Medium-sized. Go ahead. I want to borrow one of your boats. Did you come all the way from Joliet to borrow a boat, Sam? If it's going to hurt that much, forget it. I just asked. All right. When do you need it? Tonight? It's to pick up a package in the bay about 9 o'clock. Sure, I'll run you out. No, it's, uh, it's a little different, Patsy. I, I can't make the trip. You'd have to do it for me. The favor's getting bigger, Sam. You'd have to pick up the package and bring it back here. I'll, I'll be waiting at 10 o'clock. I guess you won't buy, huh, Patsy? I'm not impressed. It'd mean a lot to me, Patsy. It really would. And you couldn't get hurt, honest. Nobody gets hurt, honest. It's the other way I'm worried about. Well, I wish I could tell you, Patsy, but I can't. You know how it is. Sometimes you can't, but... Well, it's that way now, but you'd be doing me a real favor and you wouldn't get hurt. That's what Henry used to tell his wives. All right, Sam. But you put out a bad story. Well, Patsy, you have to go by the China Star. She's out in the stream. Just tell them you came for that package. They won't ask. Just tell them you want the package. Yeah. Talk to the captain. I'll be waiting here at your place about 10 o'clock. And, Patsy, it's important. Don't let anybody else have it. All right. I'll see you here at 10. Thanks, Patsy. It's a big favor. We're old friends. Yeah. We're old friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nothing wrong with them, huh? No, there's nothing wrong with old friend Sam, except sometimes they wear out on you. When Sam Tolliver walked out of there, I began to worry. I don't know why, because he was always a good guy. But if you leave good silk out in the rain, it'll shrink. Well, it was too late to change my mind now. I was going to get that package and say goodbye to Sam Tolliver. Only things didn't work out that way. You start with trouble and it never stops. It's like offering to buy aspirin for a two-headed boy. About 8.30, I took a boat and I started out into the bay. Halfway out into the stream, I had to give way to a tanker. After she throbbed by, I picked up the China Star, tied up at buoy 327. It was a broken-down old barge, so old I expected to find Noah hiding out in the bilges. Well, I went aboard, and they took me into the captain's cabin. It was going to be tougher than Sam thought. The old man had some questions, and he was about as smooth as a bag of fingernails. Right away, I got the idea. What do you want? I came out for a package. Who are you? What good will a name do you? Who are you? What do you care, mister? This isn't our dance. Just give me the package and I'll leave. Keep shouting, tough boy, and when you're all through, tell me your name. Now, look, I'm not out here to haunt your boat. you got the right face for it. I'm just passing through. <laughs> if you're running a small boat, you got papers. Let's see them. Yeah. You're too handy in your own cabin. Novak, huh? You a Polak, Novak? Yeah, and it feels fine. How's it being a pig these days? Don't get jumpy. I just asked. Who sent you here, Novak? I'll forget you asked. Just keep the package. I'm going home. Walk home on the bottom, then. Now, look, Novak. Somebody steered you wrong. Maybe it was no questions once, but it's not that way anymore. Just want to keep the book straight. Who sent you? Sam Tolliver. You need a pencil? No, that's enough questions. You see, Novak, all you had to do was answer. Then have the package now and talk some more. I'll take it now. Where is it? On the desk behind you there. Yeah. Thanks. You're welcome, Novak. The captain didn't like company. When he hit me, I dropped down to the floor like a piece of hard-working lint. The last thing I remember was Sam Tolliver sending me out to this boat. I knew then I had no more business here than second trumpet in a string quartet. I could hear voices and people moving around, but it didn't help much. You can get that kind of service in a tomb. Somewhere along the line, they moved me. Because when I woke up, I was lying in a cloud of platine on a couch in a different cabin class of people that improved. She was bending over me with a cold towel and a warm look. From where I was, she had a figure like a shot of brandy on a winter night. When she said hello, you knew that all you had to do was send up a flare and relax. Good evening. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, yeah. How do you feel? A little used up. I need recharging. Here, put your head on my lap. it. Forget the towel. I'll struggle along this way. By the way, whose lap is it? I'm Ellen Morrow. Where's your friend? The captain? I guess so. The brave guy, Axelarm. He's down getting your boat ready. What's he doing? Punching holes in the bottom? He'll be back in a minute. The package will be ready and you can leave. No, you keep the package. The last time I got a headache. I'm sorry about that. It was a mistake. That's what they told Marie Antoinette. By that time, her head was 40 feet down the street. What's in that package? It wouldn't help if you knew. You let me work that out, huh? Work out the answer, then. How about Sam Tolliver? Slow down, Betsy. I'm not going that fast. You're going the wrong way. I'll help you lick your wounds, darling, but I'm not going to get talky. What do you got to lose? What have I got to gain except your gratitude? I can get that any night with a couple of drinks. How is he, Ellen? How does he look? Too comfortable. On your feet, Novak. <laughs> yeah. You ought to rent that out, sweetheart. I'd sign a lease myself. I'll finish the sweet talk, Novak. You get on your way. Here's the package. No, I changed my mind about the package. You keep it. Your boat's ready. Unless you want to get tossed in like a mackerel. Take the package and beat it. What's in it and where does Sam Tolliver fit? You asked once already with your head in her lap. You want me to sit down? 
Well, you got brains after all. Yeah. Sorry, I thought they were all in your fist. <laughs> yeah, you're still smart. Take this package. Show them the boat, Ellen. I'm going to remember you, mister. Ellen's going to lead you by the hand through the dark. Stop beefing and settle for the simple pleasures. I will. I'll remember you. Concentrate on Ellen. You'll get a better memory. I went out on deck with a girl. And as I got to the starboard side, I noticed her hair for the first time. The way you're liable to suddenly notice a flower after a hard rain. Her hair was red. And as the orange lights of the bridge reflected against it, it seemed like a prairie fire way down in the valley, flaring up quick and then burning low again. The rest of her would have made a good prairie fire, too. It was the only good thing I could think of on the way across the bay. The water was as quiet as a drowsy caterpillar, and I had a chance to think. Why had they changed their mind about giving me that package, and how wet were Sam Tolliver's feet? Well, it must have been about 11.30 when I pulled into the pier and started on the run for my office. The lights were on, and I burst right in because I had a lot to ask Sam. But it wasn't Sam. What's your hurry, mister? I came here to meet a friend. That's the guy laying in the corner. You don't have to hurry. No, this isn't my friend. He doesn't look like one. I'm Sergeant Grimes from Homicide. If you're Novak, you're in trouble. Why? A guy lying under your desk, dripping like a broken ink. Well, and you trot out a question like that? Well, it's a bum caper somewhere. I was supposed to wait for a guy named Sam Tolliver. It might as well have been a streetcar. I'm not going to press you, Novak. I don't care. I'm just going to take you downtown. Well, this boy quit too late. I've been in the bay the last two hours. You can check. I went out there to pick up a package. The one you got in your arm? Yeah. It's for a guy named Sam Tolliver. Let's see. Okay. It doesn't say that. It says Mr. John Reedy, 720 Post Street. Hmm? I wonder what that means. Let's find out. We'll take it by Reedy's place. I got it for Sam Tolliver. You can buy him another. We'll go and buy Reedy's before we get downtown. What's the matter with you? Do you want it on an 18-foot screen? I didn't kill the guy. I don't even know him. I don't even know this John Reedy. Wait a minute, Novak. I believe you. I believe every word you're saying. Except this is one time you'd be better off lying. <laughs> When we left my office, I felt as if somebody had walked through my stomach on stilts. Oh, there were loose ends bobbing up everywhere, and you couldn't get to any of them. It was like chasing a spider with a bowling ball. With all this new stuff, I forgot about the ship. Who's going to worry about blood poisoning if he's busy having hemorrhages? I began to wonder more about Sam. Where was he? And how was I going to palm off that dead stand-in? Grimes didn't seem worried. We got into his Nash and headed for 720 Post Street. It was an apartment hotel, and Reedy lived up on the third floor. On the way in, Grimes picked up a key at the desk, and we rode up in the elevator with one of those shifty-eyed little guys who'd sell his mother if he didn't have to fatten her up. When we got to Reedy's door, Grimes took over. Open up! Maybe he can't hear you, Grimes. Nobody home. Let's go in. Why? We don't know him well enough to sneak in. I rate a hunch, Novak. Okay. The light's on your side. Leave it out. Let's look around. Okay. The stray bodies belong to you, Grimes. You go look in that set of bedrooms. I'll check over here in the library. Give me a yell if you see any. All right. Two of them. I got one by the desk. The other started down the fire escape. I'm going down in front. Take this gun and stand by the fire escape. He may get trapped and start up, so keep your eyes open. I walked into the library. The window was open and the curtains were blowing over the dead man's face. It was a good thing, because you can't split the difference with a service 45. I took him by the heels and dragged him away from the window. His eyes were rolled back as if he expected somebody to tap him on the shoulder and tell him it was all a mistake. His face was contorted and frightened, maybe a little embarrassed, like a deer caught in a traffic jam. Well, I stayed at the window about ten minutes and watched the fire escape. There was no action there, and Grimes wasn't back, so I started for the door. I had company right away. Hello, Novak. You move? Oh, Hellman. 
That's a big gun you got. Well, ask Junior here on the floor. He thinks it's even bigger. I'll check myself. Sure, and it's going to be easy because it's right in the family. Yeah? Yeah. Belongs to one of your boys down in Homicide. Go ahead. A sergeant by the name of Grimes steamed in here and knocked down Junior, and then he beat it down to get the other guy. Yeah. I don't believe it. Well, talk to him. That's why I don't believe it. There's nobody on the force named Grimes. On this one, you're all alone, Novak. There's got to be a Grimes. The guy had on a uniform. I don't care if he had on a play suit, Novak. The guy's a phony. He's not from homicide. He's a killer. <laughs> That's what I meant, Hellman. I knew Hellman was right. If Grimes was on the level, he'd have booked me instead of coming up here. He came up to Reedy's with murder in mind. Even if they believed the story about Grimes, I was still in a spot. That made me accessory to murder. And I was going to look worse when Hellman found the guy down in my office. On that one, I had star billing. Oh, everywhere I turned, things were worse. I knew it was going to take a low-budget miracle to bail me out. It was like trying to give nose drops to a herd of elephants. Hellman seemed to like the idea. Hellman rolled the guy, and there was no identification. But he never works for nothing. Yeah. A few bucks in the guy, I'll put it in the safe. The only safe you got has suspenders on it. I don't like that, Novak. Oh, you'd do anything for a buck, Hellman. If you got the right bid, you'd sell the tomb of the unknown soldier. <laughs> Thanks, Hellman. I'm getting a big list tonight. I can do all of that I want, Novak. Because you're in the corner pocket now. I get a tip-off from the Chronicle to come up here and I find you holding last rites. You got a bigger headache, Hellman. There's another stiff down at my place. Huh? That's right, Grimes again. He was sitting there when I walked in. Where were you? Out in the bay, picking up a package. It's right there on the desk. What's in it? I don't know. It was for a friend of mine named Sam Tolliver. He's disappeared and Grimes brought the package up here. Uh, I'll take it downtown. You better tag by the China Star. That's where I picked up the package. It's out in the bay, so you'll need a boat. Even a guy with your complex needs a boat. I'll touch all the bases, Novak. You just stay ten cents away from headquarters. You can pay your own way into the can. Yeah, well, that's what'll happen if I wait for you. I'll be standing out in the downpour. That's right, Novak. If there's a chance I want to see you, get first prize. Yeah, well, I'm going to be stuck unless I shop around myself because you got locked jaw of the brain, Hellman. Yeah? That wouldn't hurt you so much, but if it spreads, you're going to be in trouble. That's what I'm waiting for. If something didn't happen soon, I was going to be about as embarrassed as a hostess with leaky plumbing. I was counting on Hellman to shake down the skipper of the China Star. If that didn't work, I could close shop. I didn't have any leads. There wasn't anything I could do but sit on my hands. It was like taking your niece to a nightclub. I had to stumble around until something showed. So I looked up the only honest guy I know. An ex-doctor and a boozer by the name of Jocko Madigan. Oh, he was all right until he found out sometimes you can feel as bad the next morning without a hangover. I toured the town and finally found him at Lupo's trying to put the vineyards out of business. Ah, Patsy, you're just in time to start the day off right. Mama Lupo, some wine for Mr. Novak. You can only have a quart. We're running low. Look, it's almost midnight, Jocko. I got to talk to you. We're not going to turn into pumpkins. You need some wine. No, I don't. Patsy, when you die, the artwork is going to be simple. On your grave, they'll chisel a picture of a pair of slacks, a hamburger, and a double malt. All right, Jocko. The final symbols of a decayed civilization, because that's as close as you ever got to civilization. A remote connection at best. Like a bookie, they love horses, but they die on a stock farm. It's the same with you and civilization. You all through, Jocko? I won't fight against your sober babble. What's the matter? There's a dead guy down in my office. A uh, friend of ours? No. Oh, that's too bad. We'll miss the wake. I'm going to get half hung by homicide. The other half is dead up in a Post Street apartment. Hellman thinks I'm the boy. Patsy, I wish you wouldn't hang around me when you've just killed somebody. You tarnish my declining years. I went out to the bay to pick up a package. When I got back to my place, instead of a friend named Sam Tolliver, there was a dead guy there and a phony cop called Grimes. How do you make the distinction? He grabbed the package and we took it up to Post Street. After a quick hassle in the dark, I'm standing over a dead guy in John Reedy's apartment. John Reedy? Yeah. Do you know him? Most people do. He's running for office tomorrow. Is he the dead man? No, I don't think so. What about Reedy? He's running for a board job. Yeah? Would anybody have a reason to work a plan on him? Maybe. What's he like? Oh, a sort of liberal by marriage. Hmm? A reactionary with a rich wife. Supposed to be a good man. How about the opposition? Oh, a lot of them are running. One is Simpson. He couldn't beat an asthmatic turtle across a tennis court. Well, we're getting somewhere, at least. If Reedy's good, the gambling dough would frame him to lose. 
Yes, if politicians can ever lose, a murder in his apartment would look too phony, though. Yeah, but maybe that package wouldn't. Jocko, you got to help me. I want you to check on the registration of the China Star and then nose around to find out what you can about tomorrow's election, will you? If we lived in a monarchy, this wouldn't happen. That fast double play has got something to do with this election. Now, hurry up, Jocko, and when you're through, tag by my place. I'll call you there. Have you a bottle in the house? There's a tap in the kitchen. That'll have to do. No, thanks. Outside of a child in pain, the most pathetic sound in the world is running water. Good night, lover. I left Jocko and ducked into a phone booth. When I called Hellman, he poured out news like a rotary press. They broke open that package down at headquarters. It was full of dope. Plain garden variety. The kind a man uses to forget either his wife or secretary. I was sure then the package was a plant on Reedy. Hellman didn't see it that way. He said the two dead men were Gunsel's, last address before San Francisco State Prison at Joliet. I needled him about that phony cop Grimes. Hellman said they just got a tip-off by telephone. Grimes was an ex-sergeant in homicide whose real name was Vic Rothery. I asked him who phoned in the tip-off, and Hellman said he didn't know the guy. His name was Sam Tolliver. I got out of the Chronicle morgue and looked up everything I could on John Reedy. All politicians' children sit on the floor. There was a picture of Reedy there with his family grouped around him on the floor. I pulled the clips on Vic Rothery. It was Grimes, all right. Well, that gave me something to work on, so I went on the prowl for Ellen Morrow. I found her running a dice game in a little after-hours joint on Eddy Street. You want chips, Novak? You don't want to play against yourself? Yeah, give me some. All right. Let's see how good you are. Okay. Eight's your point. Yeah. You seen Sam Tolliver? Make your point, Patsy. That's it. Where's Sam Tolliver? Five. You're not even warm. You're not warm on Sam, either. He left me hanging with a murder rat. Your friend double-crossed you. He double-crossed you, too. Another five. You're in a rut, Patsy. He turned in Grimes. That's right, baby. They know he's Vic Rothery now. You still like Sam Tolliver? No. Keep rolling, darling. Is Grimes your boyfriend? He used to be. I'm sentimental. Where's Sam Tolliver? The Herrick Hotel. When you see him, tell him I sent you. I will if we talk that long. There it is. Eight. That's right. I guess I lose, Patsy. I guess you do. Be seeing you, baby. changed when I left. The first time out, she was alive and breezy like the main coast in July. But now she was broken up and lonely looking. And as I walked out, I thought of an old Dixie cup somebody had used up and thrown in the alley. Well, I got down to the Herrick Hotel, but Sam Tolliver wasn't there. Maybe it was better that way. I left a note for him, a short note that even a Mongolian idiot couldn't trip up on. If Sam was going to show his hand, he had to do it soon. When I got back to my apartment, Jocko was already there. He was giving a concert for the mice. Oh, she pushed a baby carriage. She pushed a baby carriage in the merry, merry month of May. All right, Jocko. She pushed a baby carriage. She pushed a baby carriage. She pushed it for a Williams man who's far, far away. Oh, stop it, will you? Patsy, I wish you'd get rid of that radio and buy a good harpsichord. What'd you find out, Jocko? Nothing from the China Star. She weighed anchor and went to sea at a quarter to twelve. How about Reedy? Well, there's heavy gambling money against him. And there's talk about a last-minute scandal. All the newspapers had tip-offs. Where was he tonight? At a rally in the Mission District with his whole family. Well, that'd leave time for a plant. They broke open that package. It was full of dope. Oh, that makes sense. He was once under treatment for malaria. The drugs found in his apartment would make it look bad. Yeah, I'll get it. Hello, Novak talking. I hope so, because you got a lot to do. What's on your mind, Hellman? A girl named Ellen Morrow. Who killed her? Did they? About 20 minutes ago. Vic Rothery's picture was all over the place. Yeah, they were chums. You better pick up Sam Tolliver. He's at the Herrick Hotel. I'd rather have Vic Rothery. Haven't you picked him up yet? No, we're on our way out. Well, you better hurry, Hellman. There won't be any voters left. I thought Sam Tolliver was a friend of yours. Well, that's the trouble with close friends. You give them the shirt off your back so they can see where to put in the knife. <laughs> After Hellman's call, I knew we were coming up for the last hand. I met him, and we rode down to Vic Rothery's hotel. 
was early morning, just about the time dawn is too sleepy to get out of bed. In the pale light, Geary Street looked like a shabby old lady with a snootful, and Rothery's Hotel was worse. Hellman flashed a badge on the night clerk, who reached over and handed us a key. It was a funny thing to notice then, but the guy's hands were short, and his fingers were peeled and stained yellow as if they'd been dipped in weak acid. Well, we rode up to Rothery's room. As we got out of the elevator and turned the corner, somebody ducked into Rothery's room. That was enough for Hellman. He started down the hall. Open up in there. Ah! You got another customer, Hellman. Open up. Come on in. You're going to wake everybody up. Hello, Sam. Come on in. Oh, mind the gun. It's loaded. You're a handy cop, Hellman. That's it. I'll close the door. All right, over near the window. Yeah. Go on. Sure. You got an answer for Rothery here? You too, copper, over near the window. I ask you, you got an answer for Rothery here? You're looking at it, mister. You know, Patsy, I'm sorry you came. I could bounce a few off of this guy with no pain at all, but it's going to hurt on you. Don't kid me, Sam. I don't know why you came, Patsy. You could have left me alone. I didn't mean to put you in for this. Things went wrong and you were in, that's all. But I didn't mean to do it, Patsy. Give the man your gun. You were a good guy to me, Novak. I'm sorry you drew the deuce. I'm really sorry because... Well, you were a good guy to me. Well, I'm not anymore, Sam. You got five feet to make up your mind. I got it made up, Patsy. Now stay back. Let me try it out on him first. You've had practice. Stay back, Patsy. I'm in a hole and I'll burn my way out. You know that. Patsy, I'm in a hole. I gotta get out. Don't kid me, Sam. I was your last friend. All you got now is the road. Stay back, Patsy, please. Patsy, stay back. I'll let that, Sam. I must have prayed wrong, Novak. Yeah. Sorry, Sam. I'm a tough loser. Yeah. You were right, Patsy. It's a bum down for a small robber. For a while, you looked big. Not for long, though. No. You're a small-time bum, Sam, and you're better off dead. I, I wouldn't argue it. I'm sorry, though. I doubt it. I guess that's right. I... I didn't try very hard. How's your friend, Novak? Let's go. Our friendship's over. Hellman finally pieced it all together. He got that skipper back and put him under the lights. The story was damp, but it fit together. They were all in on a deal to railroad John Reedy. Vic Rothery headed up a bunch to plant the dope in his apartment. But Sam Tolliver got anxious and decided to get the stuff for sale. He talked a couple of buddies into it and sent me out to the ship to pick it up. The captain smelled a switch and knocked me out long enough to get word to Rothery on the beach. Rothery got the guy in my office and the other guy that Sam posted in Reedy's place in case anything went wrong. That left only Sam on the other team. Rothery wore the uniform because it was an easy way to plant the stuff in Reedy's apartment. But the timetable went haywire and he got tripped up by that tip-off call to the Chronicle. That's about the way it was. Well, Hellman asked only one question. How come Sam Tolliver headed for the girl's place and then Rothery's? I don't know. Except maybe that note I left Sam. How'd I know he'd believe a lie? Oh, it worked out for everybody except John Reedy. He lost the election anyway. Jocko forgot to mention the guy was a Republican. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nightbeat, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.